This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews. And as always, I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. How are we, Johnny? Ah, uh, look, not too bad, Dan. Week two of uh, lockdown we're into. And fingers crossed that it will be over soon, but it's not looking too likely at this point. What do you reckon? Yeah, my mentality with lockdowns is it's on until it's not. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you almost have to assume it's not going to end. I know that's probably not what, one of pe- what people want to hear, but uh, yeah, you just never know when it's going to end. So so just put it out of your mind and yeah, when it ends. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. No, like it, it ends when it ends. Yeah. No, <laughs> Please still got the footy. Hopefully, exactly. the worst the worst thing that could happen is the season gets paused and then uh, yeah. you know, Melbourne loses their momentum. Hopefully that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a problem. That would definitely be a problem. <laughs> All right. What caught your eye from the weekend's action? Well, there were a few things that did catch my eye. And I've, I don't know why, Dan, but I've got this funny feeling that you might have a similar one. You may not, but if you do, we'll just embrace that our thinking was in the same place. <laughs> but Jamie Elliott caught my eye. Um, what a game. I don't think he's played since round two. And he looked like he'd just been playing the last month or whatever in this kind of form. He, everything he touched turned to gold. He, you know, he pretty much had he had the hot foot, I guess. Um, he was. He can so, have these games, can't he? He he's can. Such a natural footballer. He really just is. Fire. He really is, and he was running so hot that um, they even chucked him in the middle at one point, and he kicked a beauty from outside fifty. He kicked six straight, um, and yeah, it's just uh, yeah. When he's up and running, he's a, he's a real joy to watch, actually. I remember a couple of years ago, Melbourne were trying to get him. I think a few other clubs were before he settled with Collingwood, but. I guess, you know, the injuries have held him back over the last few years in particular, but when he's up and running, he's a great guy to have on your side, no doubt about that. Yeah, when when Melbourne were after him, um, it was obviously at the time we were sort of looking for that pressure forward or I guess any sort of small forward, but um, he's he's a different type of small forward, I guess, or medium-sized forward. He's, he's, he's great when he, with the ball in his hands, obviously, but he's one of the better forwards that leads back to goal, I find, and... And then sort of plants the foot and comes straight out. And we spoke last week about the slow ball movement Collingwood had had the week before. That kind of thing only works when you have fast ball movement. So it yeah. was good to see yeah. him speed it up a bit and get him into it. A little bit like Toby Green, like small yep. forward, but he's got on the lead as well. So Very, very similar. Very similar. They're worth their weight in gold. Definitely. Definitely. So, so for me, it was actually uh, Richmond's last quarter that caught my eye. So... They actually conceded the first uh, four goals of that last quarter, I'm pretty sure, to Essendon in that Dreamtime game. And Essendon actually hit the front at that point. And kind of similar to what happened last week against Adelaide when they were challenged, they just uh, went up a level. And that not only did they get that back their lead, by the end of the game they'd put on seven straight to win by over five goals. So um, They're pretty hard to put away. What, what, what did they kick seven goals in the last ten minutes or something like that? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, it was just an avalanche yeah. and some brilliant goals in that as well. Shea Bolton, a few snaps over the shoulder, but yeah, yes. once they get that surge going, they're very hard to stop. Yep, yeah, it's just snowball effect. Yeah, I guess Richmond are probably still the sleeper. Like, not a lot of people are talking about them as like a premiership contender, although everyone still thinks they kind of are. But I looked ahead with Richmond's draw and uh, they could win out from here. They really don't have that many challenging games from here. I know they've still got a few injuries, but, you know, the guys they bring in still usually cover pretty well. And 
they've got two games that, that are probably, you know, hard games, and all the other games are pretty much against bottom eight teams. So, well, it's going to be it's going to be a hard uh, challenge to keep Richmond out of the top four. I think. <laughs> I think just quickly looking at it now, you're absolutely right. The only teams to worry about would be Geelong and Brisbane. I mean, they've got West yep. Coast this week, which could be tough. But apart yep. from that, uh, those three. So, like, just I'll, if you'd say they lose one more of those games, it just does like a, you know, one of those challenging ones they lose and they win out with the rest of them. That brings them up to, what would that be? I think 17 wins or 16 wins. So they'd definitely Jeez. be there or thereabouts for top four again. That, yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so. <laughs> So uh, definitely still very much in the conversation. Well, they're on the second line of betting for the premiership. So yep. I guess they're not too far away from the conversation, but I guess it just shows that they have had a bit of a tough draw in the first half of the year and combined with a few injuries. That's where a few of their losses have come from, I suppose. Absolutely. I think it's safe to say they're playing finals. Looking at that draw, definitely yeah. playing finals. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get into game of the round. So we've got another Melbourne game. Wasn't necessarily why we chose this game. It was good to be able to get Brisbane uh, away in one of these as well because they'd been one of the dominant sides. So it was first v third at a neutral venue. Had to be played at Giant Stadium. I think it was originally scheduled for Alice Springs, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yep. But uh, with everything that's going on with COVID at the moment, that wasn't possible. So ended up being a neutral venue. I think at one stage, they're almost going to play as the Gabba if they could get clearance. So probably a good thing that that didn't happen. There was a little bit of talk about that, maybe even uh, Metricon. But uh, yeah, that, I think that was the last resort. Yeah. So Giant Stadium was a good compromise. So I guess going into this game, probably weren't quite as worried as going into the Bulldogs game just because, you know, Melbourne had passed that test, but it was another yep. big test for them, especially because Brisbane were coming in on a seven-game winning streak. Yes, yes. And missing uh, Ed Langdon, uh, which I thought was going to be a real, real big loss for, I guess, width in our approach. Um, yeah, it was a big test. For sure. And I think Melbourne were favourites, but late in the betting, it actually swung around to Brisbane, so... There's plenty of people thinking that they'd extend their winning streak. Definitely. All right, let's jump into the rundown here. So in the first quarter, after a uh, undisciplined free kick, after Melbourne had just kicked a point, Fritch got another set shot from the top of the square. And, of course, he made no mistake from there, so it gave Melbourne the quick start. But their tall forwards started coming into the game, so... Brisbane's Hitwood and Danaher were marking well early, particularly Danaher jumping high over a pack to give them their first two goals. So that evened things up at two goals apiece. And it was really Brisbane who owned the rest of the quarter, establishing a dominance at the clearances. Lockie kneeled first game back. It didn't seem to matter. Hugh McCluggage was in there doing his thing as well. So they were getting a lot of pretty clear looks out of the centre in particular. And they were doing a really good job at controlling the ball by foot as well. And their forwards seemed to be marking everything. So everything was going Brisbane's way. So it was actually back-to-back goals to Bailey. Uh, one socketing out of midair that gave Brisbane a quarter-time lead of 13 points. So there's a lot to like if you're a Brisbane supporter in this first quarter. 
Hey, Johnny. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, they were really good goals as well from Bailey, and uh, they really brought the pressure, much like we did the week before. Um, they were tackling very hard, and they were winning every clearance. It was um, not a good time for Melbourne fans, actually. They still did okay, I think. Like to be only two two goals down, so the like, thing we had they were holding up pretty well. The thing we had going for us was when we were entering the fifty, we were getting scoring shots. So we just needed to get in the fifty more. It was it wasn't going too bad for us in that area. Absolutely. So going into the second quarter, it was actually uh, an inside fifty stoppage for Brisbane, and it kind of looked like Gorn palmed this down. Well, and McInerney was trying to palm it in exactly the same direction because it was actually Charlie Cameron running into space and goaling in the first minute, which is a bit of a sign of things to come as Brisbane were really getting on top here. And just when Melbourne needed something going back the other way, Petrarca managed to get a holding free kick out of forward 50 stoppage, and he had the set shot from about 50. And he really did steal himself again for another long shot like he did in previous games and uh, made the distance easily. The ball landed in the seats and thankfully for Melbourne supporters, it went through the big sticks. Oh, yeah. But going back the other way, Brisbane was still having the better of the game here. So it was goals to McCarthy and Bailey to help them make the most of their dominance they had. So that continued clearance dominance and... uh, being able to spot up kicks pretty well when they needed to as well. Melbourne were just doing enough to hang in there, though, and we did see some glimpses of Melbourne's link-up play. They did get out once or twice, and they were actually being quite efficient when they did have their rare chances. So that all added up to a 20-point halftime lead to Brisbane, and they'd put 56 points on Melbourne in a half, which is pretty high considering mostly they're keeping teams to under 70 points per game. And looking at the stats as well, Brisbane were pretty much winning every stat you can imagine here. So if anything, you would say that 20 points may have been a goal or two under for Brisbane, but probably the only thing keeping Melbourne in the game at this point was how efficient they were inside 50. Yeah, I think it was. I think it uh, it was possibly unders for what Brisbane deserved. Uh, they were. They were smacking him in pretty much every area. And they just... like They weren't playing bad, Melbourne. It's just that Brisbane were having much more of a crack. They were having much more of a go, it seemed. And they were they were there to play. And yeah, it, they were just, playing on the edge. They just couldn't get their hands on the ball. Like mm. They were winning it so easily out of stoppage. Not necessarily easily. Like Melbourne was still going in for it. But Brisbane were just coming away from the stoppages. They were just first to it, yeah. I think it was a. Two, I got looked at the stat at half time. It was about two to one. So for every three stoppages, Brisbane were winning two of them. They were absolutely dominating, and all Melbourne's play was starting from the back line, and they just couldn't quite get it going often enough to uh, get anything going their way. Really, although as we described, they still did manage to kick a few goals. Yeah, and I don't know what the conditions were like, but we just didn't look very clean once we got the ball either. We just fumbled it a lot and just yeah couldn't get it out sort of quick handballs out of the contest like we usually were like we usually do uh Clayton Oliver was really down in that first half I thought or first quarter in particular um yeah just just couldn't get it I guess it was probably Petrarca was the main guy keeping us in it yeah I think it was just the one goal maybe two but his work around the stoppages uh when yes. Melbourne were getting a good look out of it 
there it was more often than not him <laughs> it was oh, going, yeah, going yeah. goblin's way so great game by track definitely all right so let's jump into the third quarter here so this is one of the best third quarters i've seen for the year not just from a melbourne perspective but the quality of play it was a great quarter so yep. we've got some highlights to go through here so melbourne started the quarter getting deep inside 50 curtis and that led to a uh throw in pretty close to the point post it was actually tom mcdonald going up in the ruck and uh courtesy of a flick back so it was oliver to mcdonald after the palm down from mcdonald and mcdonald had plenty of time to get the snap away to get melbourne's first and i think that was within about a minute of the quarter starting so very fast start yep beautiful bit of play and yeah oliver doing what he usually does best wasn't seen enough of in the first half was good to get off on the right foot he would have had the ball for less than half a second. It was just grab it, yep. flick, and he, he could identify where the dangerous position was to get it back to McDonald and plenty of time to slot that one. But a short time later, it was actually Zorko punching McDonald in the jaw <laughs> to, give, to give Melbourne the ball back when Brisbane looked like they were about to clear it from half back. And this proved extremely costly, as in this very play, uh, Oliver got the ball in deep and uh, it sort of was bobbling around a little bit at the back of the contest and Pickett was able to gather really cleanly. And although there was a couple of players between him and the goal, he was able to basically dribble it, keeping it nice and low, uh, evading both of the Brisbane defenders, which was actually really smart because if he tried to kick it higher, it would have actually got smothered. So that's one time where you actually want the dribble kick. Very smart. I agree with you there, Dan. Um, there's some, I think we talked about this last week, there's some players that are just really good with the dribbler. They know how that ball functions, and I thought that was perfect. He, he just somehow laced it through those two Brisbane defenders, and you just knew it was going to go through. You didn't. You were confident. Yeah, I got a lot of confidence in Pickett as long as he's not on the set shot. <laughs> yes. He's good, on, he's good in general play. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think he's a better set shot than what what would happen on Friday, but yeah. No. yeah General yeah. plays where it's at for him. <laughs> yeah. so, so those couple of goals brought the margin back very quickly to so just eight points. But that second goal there was actually cancelled out by Zorko at the other end as he sharked another Gorn tap to get the snap away and uh, extend Brisbane's lead again out beyond two goals. But it was going, it was quick play out of the centre. So going back the other way for Melbourne, it was actually Oliver gathering and surging the ball forward. And Petrarca managed to gather the crumb and sort of running away from goal almost, he managed to get the kick online. And uh, from about a 45 degree angle, he's managed to slot it. It's a beautiful bit of play, that one. Certainly was. Uh, and it was a quick reply. There's a lot of this goal-for-goal stuff in this quarter where uh, both teams are really dangerous out of stoppage. So whether that be centre clearances or uh, clearance uh, stoppages within the 50, uh, there was a lot of goals each way in this quarter. So just when Melbourne uh, got it back to be a point down, Brisbane were actually able to go coast-to-coast after Wiedemann missed a set shot. The play ended with Bailey uh, accepting and basically 
he was beyond the last Melbourne defender. And he's pretty damn quick, Bailey. So mm. he was sprinting towards the 50. And he's a very straight set shot as well. And he managed to get this one basically directly over the goal umpire's hat. And all you could see was Stephen May trying to get back to the square, but he was too late to stop that one. And Melbourne got a bit of play going back the other way as well. So there's so much happening. It was a pretty crazy quarter. So Oliver receives at about 70 out, more or less in the centre of the ground, and he chose to play on quickly. And Wiedemann got up in a pretty good position, probably should have marked it, but at least he brought it to ground. And Cozzy was eagerly there waiting in front. And in a second, he'd snapped the goal again. And uh, it was a one-point deficit. But Melbourne missed a couple more shots and they actually took a one-point lead into three-quarter time. So they'd brought it all the way back from a 20-point deficit to be up by three-quarter time there. What were your overall impressions in the third quarter, Johnny? It was pretty crazy. Oh, well... Well, where where we'd been half an hour previous, I mean, you, we were all we were all pretty happy with that, um, and we were getting the game back on our terms. It was starting to look more like a Melbourne game. Uh, Tom McDonald's third quarter was absolutely sensational, and yeah, really a big reason why we got back into it, as was Cozzy. Uh, but yeah, it was we were all set for a grandstand finish. All right, so going into this last quarter, Melbourne had a one point lead, so. All to play for for both teams. So Pickett had missed an incredibly easy set shot in the third quarter right at the end there. So he was about 12 metres out directly in front. And somehow he found a way to sort of slice it off the outside of his boot uh, to miss that one, hit the post. But he had a chance for redemption more or less straight away in this last quarter. So from Gorn's follow-up work at the clearance, he was able to get a kick in pretty long and Pickett, reading the ball well, going back with the flight, was able to reel it in with one hand. And from a bit of a tricky angle from about 30 out, Pickett's set shot accuracy this time was perfect as it went straight through the middle. Yes, beautiful. So what do you reckon is going on with Pickett's set shot? Sometimes they just look fantastic and other times you just seem to really miss quite innocuous shots. Any ideas yeah. what's going on here? Uh, look... Like I said before, I don't think he's a terrible set shot. Like, he may not be the safest uh, this has ever been. But, yeah, uh, maybe I've got this theory with a lot of the a lot of the Melbourne forwards at the moment that uh, they possibly do so much running and so much pressing and that, that maybe by the time they get their set shot, they're actually a bit stuffed. And just that one little thing in their routine goes different and it, it can ruin a, a set shot routine. But, look, that's more of a theory. Um, yeah, uh, he just, yeah, look, he just didn't have a great night with the, with the set shots. He would, I reckon nine times out of ten, he would have probably kicked four goals one on the night. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a hard one. It's a hard one, that one. Because Tom McDonald yeah, was having issues with his set shots as well. Uh, at least he was able to make up for it on this but, occasion and give Melbourne yes. a fast start in the last quarter. And that's what matters. So there was a really obvious change in this second half. Brisbane were finding it a lot harder to transition the ball. Melbourne got their full ground defence working. So when Brisbane were trying to switch it, they were pretty much having to go all the way across the ground. And it was actually quite risky because Melbourne were covering the outlet so well. So there was one bit of play starting at the 50 metre line 
of Brisbane's forward line where Melbourne managed to gather. And all these handballs, nine in a row, they're all under pressure. But the last one saw uh, Jordan out into space and it ended with a long kick into T-Mac who was able to, uh, not quite mark it, but he gathered it on the ground and he got the snap off as well. And just like that, Melbourne had a 13-point lead. And this was really where Melbourne hit the ghost, which they were surging now, just winning all the clearances, particularly Oliver and Petrarca, that were very influential at this stage. And during this period, they were able to get a couple more goals as well to Sparrow and Neil Bullen to give Melbourne five in a row. And uh, basically that was that. Brisbane got one back at the end, but a relatively uh, comfortable 20-point win after it looked like Melbourne were maybe not dead and buried in the first half, but well beaten in the first half. But they were able to come back and have about a 40-point turnaround here. Great win. Yes. Yep. Sensational turnaround. Um, Yeah, got the game onto our terms. In that first half, I thought our back line was looking a lot like they did against Adelaide. They just weren't um, They weren't as good in the air. They weren't really getting, you know, the tackling pressure they needed to on guys like Charlie Cameron. Um, but in the second half, it was there was a moment early in that third quarter where I, it was a good example of what you were mentioning. We started sort of clamping up a bit on them and... We forced them to kick sideways and then eventually long to a contest, which I think maybe Petty ended up marking. And it was just the sign where I, it just, it, the switch flicked there for me. I thought, ah, we've got our defensive structure back to in this game. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, was, it was a very workman-like performance. Yeah, so I'm just going to talk a little bit more about what I thought changed after halftime because I guess it was kind of a, de- a game of two halves. So Brisbane more or less dominated the first half and then Melbourne managed to get the game on their terms. So it really happened more or less as soon as the third quarter started. So there was an obvious lift in intensity by Melbourne around the ball and also just uh, with you know how they were trying to guard space and also their men as well. So big lift in intensity. Gorn got a lot more proactive around the centre clearances as well with his tap-outs, but also trying to follow up as well. So yes. he was getting quite yes. a few clearances himself. Absolutely. Some key clearances too. And, uh, yeah, Melbourne just had great structure. So I guess that's the hallmark. Once they get their game going properly, uh, they're defending the space really well, whether it be in the centre of the ground or the back line. It really stifled Brisbane's ball movement and, Really, all their goals in this second half, there weren't many of them, but they were coming from stoppage. So once it got into general play, Melbourne was completely clamping Brisbane. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it it took a bit to wrestle it back onto their terms, but um, they did. And in that third quarter, when they were coming back, uh, if Brisbane would get a settling goal, like from Bailey or, or Zorko, we responded almost immediately, and I just think that's a really good sign of a resilient team. Yeah, it was very impressive. I guess Melbourne hasn't quite had a game like this this season yet where they've actually had to come back from this far down yeah. so deep into a game. So it was great to see that they had that in their repertoire as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's not just a system team that gets the lead and just um, relies on that system. If the going's tough, we can we can grind it out that way too. 
So it was actually nine goals to three in that second half. So uh, pretty dominant there. And as I mentioned earlier, five goals in a row, really, between halfway through the third and halfway through the fourth, where the game had to be won, I suppose, and Melbourne was more than willing to do the hard work to win it. Uh, Who was your man of the match, Dan? I don't know. There was some real standouts, but I think for a four-quarter contributor who had, you know, some really big impact moments, it'd have to be Petrarca. Yep, um, definitely with you there. Probably should have had three goals as well. Um, unfortunately, that last one hit the post. But yeah, when the whips were cracking and you needed someone to sort of take the game by the scruff of the neck, uh, he was there. Yeah, he's he's the game breaker. Hopefully, he'll be very valuable when it comes to finals as well. Yes, yes. So just one last thing I wanted to mention on this game was how efficient Melbourne was inside 50 converting into scoring shots. So it was actually 58% of the inside 50s were being converted into a score. So I remember a couple of years ago, probably in 2019, Melbourne was like the worst in the competition for this stat, hovering around sort of uh, low 40s or maybe it even got below that. I think it got below that a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So like... They're just so efficient with the way they're using the ball, guys like Spargo and Neil Bull and the really good kicks going inside 50. And yeah. often they are, you know, sort of getting these good link-up plays and they are taking the game on to an extent. So it does make it easier to find sort of an open target, but great uh, efficiency there. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we're also able to rebound a lot more too uh, with the guys we've got there at the moment, Trent Rivers and Salem. Uh, it helps to create a bit of play off the you know half back line when we when we need it, and and slingshot. Thought um, Tom Sparrow did a good job. Uh, you know, it's it's a case of the next man up, and they're willing to they know what's expected of them, and they have a fair income crack. I was really impressed by James Jordan as well. He was, yep. he's really doing well as that like fourth midfielder. Yes, so I think this is one of his better games. A super hard runner. And uh, I totally agree. He's becoming important. Absolutely. Lots to like for Melbourne. They moved to 11-1. and So let's uh, change track a little bit here. So we thought it might be good to compare some of the teams that are sitting in the top eight. And uh, we'll probably do something similar next week for the teams in the bottom eight. But we're going to play a little game called Who Would You Rather Be? And... We're saying this in respect to the remainder of the 2021 season. So uh, I've paired up a couple of the top eight teams and uh, we'll each have a bit of a chat here about who we'd rather be in terms of uh, one of these teams going forward and you know hoping to push towards that Premiership Cup. So the first pair we've got is uh, the Western Bulldogs and Geelong. Who would you rather be, Johnny? Um, I'll tell you when I'd rather answer this question after they <laughs> play each other in round 14. Um, but th- this one's a real tough one to start with. Uh, I- I'd have to just give the edge to the dogs. Just because the depth of that midfield runs so deep, I, I think the Cats have done really well to manage the loss of danger. I'm not quite sure how far off he is, but um, 
they've done well, but uh, I just think I really like that midfield. I like a midfield that has a lot of depth and can can cover losses. And I, th- I just think the Bulldogs have that that unit that can really go the distance and you know take weather any storm that's thrown at it. Uh, yeah, interesting. It's it's a tough one, but I think I would I would just pick the dogs on that one. Okay, I guess my query with the dogs is they're two really high pressure games they've had against Richmond and Melbourne. They've kind of come up short in their you know area that they're most meant to be most dominant in, which is the midfield. So it's a good point. I'd actually probably at the moment lean towards Geelong just yeah. because. They're, you know, the seasoned campaigner. They've been there, done that. And, uh, you know, they did make the grand final last year. And probably, you know, in the last couple of years, if not for Richmond, they would have had an even better chance of winning one of these premierships. So yeah. I know they've been a little bit sporadic this year so far. But in, if it was a final or, like, you know, a qualifying final or a prelim final, I'd be, uh, yeah, I'd be feeling pretty good about that if I was a Geelong supporter. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, one of the other things that maybe tipped it to the dogs for me was just uh, the number of sort of X-factor players that could, you know, turn the game, I guess. I think they might just have them on that. Maybe not. If That uh, depends how you look at it. But, uh, yeah, no, look, I can definitely see the case for Geelong. Well, they've got the bond, which helps. <laughs> yes, yes. Yep, and uh, he pretty much won it. For them single-handedly <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, you can do that, can't you? Yep. All right, next one. Uh, would you rather be Brisbane or Port Adelaide for the remainder of 2021? Yeah, another really, really good one. Uh, but I think I have to choose Brisbane. Um, I think Port's got a, uh, they've got an interesting run home. There's definitely winnable games, but there's a, a few tough ones. Um, they've got Geelong this week. Uh, still get to play Melbourne, um, and I just I don't know. I just, I just think uh, once again, I think that Brisbane have a little bit more in the depth department uh, when it comes to yeah their midfield. Uh, whereas Port, I'm not. I'm still. I like Port as a side, but I'm still not quite sold on their midfield group as a whole. I do think it kind of drops off a little bit after Wines and Boke, just in terms of. You know, just the big time players there. Um, yeah, and I think the losses that they've had. I think the the players out like Butters. Um, I think I think it's it's hurt them a bit more than than they realised. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah, uh, although Brisbane got beaten on the weekend, they've strung some really good games together. I think yep. they've got Port covered in the midfield and also a dangerous forward line, and probably yep. the defences are pretty comparable. I think so. But, uh, yeah, forwards, I'd probably give them the edge. So I guess in terms of finals experience over the last few years, relatively even between the two, uh, but it, it just looks like Brisbane are going better at the moment. So I guess you could probably just trust them a little bit more. Yes. All right, I've got a really interesting one for you now. What about yes. Sydney or West Coast? Who would you rather be there? Sydney or West Coast? <laughs> well, I would probably have to take Sydney. And the reason why would probably be 
as I mean, we all know how many uh, you know how many injuries West Coast have had this year, especially to their experienced players. You look at the other side of this question to Sydney, they don't really have that many injuries to the, their experienced players, and a lot of those experienced players are playing quite well. Um, I thought Kennedy has been in good form. Rampy's playing as good as he ever has. Parker's averaging about 20-odd disposal, 23, I think it was. Uh, it's a good core group, and, um, you know, when the whips are cracking, I'll be backing those guys in come the pointy end of the season. So I'm picking Sydney, Dan. Interesting, yeah. So I guess West Coast had a good win on the win, uh, win on the weekend against uh, Carlton, obviously, but uh, they've been very up and down, haven't they? And Sydney yeah. do seem a bit more bankable, although you know they're not winning their games by that much. But you know you can always count on them to give it a good yeah. crack. And I mean, if, some people I guess thought it, that was a that was one of their worst performances of the year. Some people thought, but. Um, you know, they're getting the wins. It's all matters. It's all you got to do, isn't it? Like, yeah. if these two sides were playing in a final, I suppose it would come down to home ground advantage. But you'd say on current form, Sydney's more likely to earn that home final. So yep. I think you've got to give the nod to the young swans. But as you said, they still do have a good group, core group yeah. that they can rely on week in, That's week right. out. So they're getting uh, good contributions from... Uh, few different generations within the team. Absolutely. And let's not forget Buddy Franklin as well in that dark group. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I mean, he's closing in on the 1,000 mark. I think he only needs another... Yeah, 30-odd, I think. 34, somewhere around yep. that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, uh, love yeah. to see it this year, but he might have to wait till next year. But look, yeah, I think he's, yeah, he's closing in. Yes. It would be a real shame if he didn't quite make it, but... It's looking more and more likely. You'd think if he's anywhere close, the Swans will find a way to get in there. <laughs> yep, yep, definitely, definitely. All right, and last one of these for today. Would you rather be Melbourne or Richmond? Oh, gee. <sighs> this is possibly the toughest of them, actually. Well, I guess I'm if you're Richmond, if you're Richmond, you'd already have the three premierships. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that, uh, that's one thing. But that is, it is. I guess on the other hand, as well, if you're Richmond, you you've got you would back your team in because you've been there before, and this is what they do. They turn it on in the second half of the season. Uh, you would. And we just said how easy yeah. their run is coming up. So interesting. But but it would be it would take a very it would take a very brave person to say they wouldn't rather be the team that's sitting on top of the ladder by two games. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, look, I, I would still just give the edge to Melbourne. I think, yeah, I mean, when it all comes down to it, if you're in this position, uh, like we've got a very, very healthy list at the moment. I mean, there's a couple of guys are waiting on, but it's pretty healthy. We've been lucky with injuries and uh, they've missed a fair chunk uh, of Games for guys like Bolton and Martin. I would still give the edge to Melbourne. Yeah, I guess you never know with this injury stuff. Like, just because they're getting guys back now doesn't mean they won't have a few more injuries. And, you know, some of these guys are a little bit older, especially yeah. guys like Cochin. So, like, they are a bit more injury prone now. So, 
Um, there's that, and there's the fact that, you know, if Melbourne can keep up their form, anything like it, they're going to finish top two most likely. So home qualifying final and maybe Richmond might, even if they do manage to scrape into the top four, they might have to travel interstate. So it's definitely not going to be easy for Richmond, but uh, they're still very much in the conversation for the 2021 Premiership and their hopes of a three-peat are very much alive. Yes, no, it was a tough one, but yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so would you rather be Melbourne or Richmond after all that? Oh, I would just give the edge to Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. Like, you, It's pretty hard to pick against a team that's two games clear on top at this yeah. stage of the season, looking so good. And uh, Richmond's had some good games as well, but they've had some sort of poor games. And they're still the champs, but uh, at this stage, I think, I would rather be sitting in Melbourne's shoes. Yeah. Which is interesting to say for a team who hasn't won a premiership in <laughs> like almost 60 years. But... That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, you'd be well, backing Richmond. If you were a Richmond fan, you'd be backing them. But yeah. 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 All right. So I think what we'll do next week with some of the bottom eight teams is um, maybe we'll do it slightly differently. So, uh, looking at who you might want to be for the next sort of three years, because I guess some of those teams we'll be talking about, uh, the year's pretty much shot, which is okay. But, (laughs) you know, it'll be interesting to talk about some of the trajectories of some of these teams and, uh, yeah, who might actually actually be, uh, you know, looking better in a semi-long-term sense than some of the others. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Footy Time. So thanks again for jumping on the line there, Johnny. Interesting thoughts there about a few of those uh, who would you rather be. Yeah. Good insight yeah. about Melbourne, as always. <laughs> yeah, you get the juices flowing. <laughs> thanks to you guys as well for listening. So if you do have any other questions or topics you think might be interesting for us to have a bit of a chat about on the show, the email is footytimemail at gmail.com. And uh, if you get a chance, please do leave a review on uh, Apple uh, Podcasts and all that sort of stuff. It'll help us uh, attract a few more uh, listeners and all that. So thanks again for listening. We'll leave it there. Enjoy the footy during lockdown, or if you're lucky enough to be in a different state, you might even be able to get to the game. See you later.